Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now that I've been living in Frankenmuth for a couple months at this point, which is also hard to believe, Morgan, Evie, and I have had a few opportunities to go explore the city a bit. And while we've been out doing as many of the touristy things as we can, especially given the circumstances, I started to notice something as the days went on as we were doing this. And I mean this honestly. I have not yet found a single yard or garden that looks bad or underkept. Most lawns around here have a nice dark green color to them, mowed to the perfect height with a nice clean edge along the perimeter. Garden beds are full of beautiful plants and flowers. The stone walkways that lead up to the doors are perfectly cut and laid out, with the sidewalks always swept clean. Now, if people like to do their own yard work here, or if they hire out a landscape crew to do it for them, either way, I can tell that Frankenmuth cares a whole lot about gardening. And that's a good thing. I was a landscaper for a while while I lived in Portland, so I tend to notice things like this as I walk or drive about. So here's one thing we all know about gardening. It's something that shows just how beautiful and amazing God's creation is. But it's also something that shows just how broken creation is. Have you ever planted something just to have it not grow? or die a couple weeks after it sprouted? Or have you ever had weeds take over the lawn or garden? It's happened to me all the time. Especially when you give the plants exactly what they need, you water for them, you care for them. To have them not turn out according to plan is just confusing and frustrating. The Old Testament lesson today is a story told by the prophet Isaiah to the people in Jerusalem. And it's not just any old story, it's a love story about vineyards and gardening. The beloved in Isaiah's passage took great care to find the perfect place to plant his vineyard. And so he chose a beautiful hillside so that they would get all the sunshine they needed and be protected from um, wild animals. He went and cleared away all of the stones so that they could firmly take root and so that the water could flow freely through the soil. With such perfect land for his vineyard, he chose only the best vines, not cheap ones or ones that you would find growing out in the wild or along a road. But then he adds the finishing touch. He carves out a big wine vat, which is a large tub to hold all of this wine that this vineyard would eventually produce. So for me, this beautiful scene of a vineyard out in the countryside with its leaves glowing in the sunset is what comes to mind. This place sounds like the place of dreams, especially for gardeners. And within the first two verses, we can already tell that this beloved loves to garden and cares very deeply about his vineyard. But as the vineyard owner eagerly awaited for this vineyard to produce these good grapes, and he was looking for sweet, full, delicious, cloudy grapes. But something strange happened. Instead of a perfect harvest, 
like he would he should have gotten, the vines produce wild grapes. Wild grapes. The first thing that came to my mind when I read that phrase was maybe something you'd expect to find growing along the side of a highway or something growing as a weed in your garden or even something you'd run into in a hiking trail. Something that maybe looks like a small, half-sized grape. In fact, do a Google search for wild grape and this is one of the first results you'll find. Exactly what we expected. However, this is actually an instance where we lost a little bit of the original meaning in translation. The Hebrew word used here for wild grapes actually has a meaning of grapes that are stinking, rotten, worthless grapes. And I'll spare you uh, from showing you what those grapes would look like in a picture, but they would be comparable to the ones that have sat in the fridge for way too long that you forgot about a couple dinners ago. The taste would be horrible and bitter. They'd be squishy and gooey. The only destination for grapes like these would be in the trash or the compost bin if they're lucky. And so if you've ever done your own yard work or have worked in your own um, garden, maybe you can relate to the frustration of something like this happening. After days in the beating sun, dilling, uh, tilling, digging, planting, and weeding, a yard or garden that doesn't go according to plan is infuriating. And what do we usually do in a situation like that? We tear it out. We uproot it all and start over with a new variety of plant. And we heard in the reading that this is what the vineyard owner is going to do. Isaiah's words depict a scene where the wall will be destroyed that's around the vineyard. The vines will be overgrown with weeds as it sits there in the beating desert sun and withers from a lack of rain. To be honest, it seems perfectly reasonable to me. The vineyard owner in a story did everything to ensure a perfect harvest. Yet rotten fruit is all he got in return. To begin unpacking this story, we first have to know what it's about. Isaiah tells us in verse 7 that the beloved in the story is God, and the vineyard is Israel, his people. Easy enough. And so what are these wild grapes that this vineyard produced, these rotten grapes? He tells us it was bloodshed instead of justice, an outcry in the place of righteousness. God's people, who were once slaves in the land of Egypt, had begun mistreating the innocent, worshiping idols, turning a blind eye to injustice, taking pride in their own power and wealth, and calling evil good. They did the very things that were once done to them. But when did all these things go wrong? Well, it all started in another garden, the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned against God. In their hearts, they wanted to be the ones in control. The creation wanted to become the creator. And so Israel, in their hearts, was doing the same thing. They didn't want to be the garden anymore. They wanted to be the gardener. And the fruits they produced show this. And so it would be pretty easy to look at this passage, 
and Israel's overall situation, which you can find in many parts of the Old Testament, and say that God's plan, his gardening plan, just didn't work out. His holy vineyard was rotten to the core. In the words of Isaiah's beloved from the story, he says, What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done? Well, the gospel lesson we heard earlier this morning also talks about vineyards. In fact, it echoes the same story that Isaiah told. So as Jesus would be there saying this parable to the chief priests and the Pharisees, this story would be coming to mind for them, the story from Isaiah. But it's different in one important part, and that's where it answers the question that the beloved has asked in Isaiah. It is for this failed vineyard that the Messiah came and gave his life for Israel and for the world. And to the world, it looks like Jesus failed too. But as the stone that was rejected, as it says in the parable, he became the cornerstone of all salvation. And through his resurrection, the vineyard has been saved, and it now bears the good grapes that our Lord looked for. The church today is God's vineyard. We're planted into it through our baptisms, through which the Holy Spirit has given us faith to believe. He graciously cultivates us and nurtures us through his word and through the conversations we have as Christian brothers and sisters. Using Isaiah's words here, we are God's pleasant planting. So when God looks to us, he looks for good grapes. But if we take a a good honest look or even a quick look around us, We know that there's a lot of rotten grapes to be found in our lives and all over this crazy world. And because our hearts are corrupted, just like the Israelites, we want to respond to that and tell God that we're the gardeners. This only produces wild, rotten grapes. We like to think that we're the ones who are in the good here, who did nothing wrong, while the rest of the world is the one making these rotten grapes. And in reality, though, this is all of us. We have all been vines that have produced bad fruit. And Pastor Haney continued a very important conversation with us last week about the issue of race relations and the divisions that follow that in our country, as well as our mission as the church to bring the gospel to the lost. And from that message, and from his Bible study, which Pastor Brandt is still leading us on, on Wednesdays, I have learned lately that I like to spend a lot of time saying that I'm the gardener, that it's not my fault that there's so many wild grapes. Or I'll put it in real-world terms. There's some bad stuff going on in this country and all over the world, but it's not really my fault. I'm not doing anything wrong, right? Well, this is the temptation that every one of us fights every single day. The daily temptation to tell God that we're the gardeners, the ones in control. It's not our fault that these wild grapes have come up. And when we think we have control, we want to fix the world in our own ways, on our own time. Or even in a lot of other cases, we hide from these problems because we perceive that they're not directly impacting us. But as God's vineyard, we know that there is only one gardener, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that is a good thing. And because God's plan did not fail, we have a gracious God that forgives us from this sin and from all others. God planted his own son in us, the vineyard. Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So when God looks at his vineyard, he sees the good grapes of his son growing in us. Jesus Christ unites us to himself and to one another through his love and brings peace, true peace, to a world full of wild grapes. And now with this beautiful gift of faith we have through Christ, we don't have to worry about being the gardener anymore. Rather, we can focus on being the garden. We can focus on being the vineyard. And as branches of the true vine, the love of Christ will flow out of us and produce good fruit. This love will not leave the world alone to succumb to the death and the sin that's out there. It will not leave the world alone in the midst of countless divisions created through race, politics, or any other form of selfishness or human invention. No, this love we share will show a world who that true vine is and bring his healing light into it. Our true vine has produced a perfect harvest for our Father in heaven. And this is the root of our faith. And it is through faith that we can engage, intentionally engage, the sin and suffering in this world and show the good and beautiful work of Christ. Amen.